Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 447. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. I'd also like to give a shout out and thanks for putting up a five-star review of the show to Sarah Shaw Consulting. Many thanks, Sarah. So this week's interview is with Nova Lorraine. Nova is an advisor, award-winning designer, author of Unleash Your Supernova 101 Action Steps to Boost Creativity and Beat Burnout. And she's the host of the award-nominated podcast of the same name, Unleash Your Supernova. Her podcast is also part of the Evergreen portfolio. In this interview with Nova, we discuss her extraordinary path, the founding and running of The Rain magazine, her new book, Detecting and Beating Burnout, as well as about fashion and celebrities. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Please consider the drop in your rating and review, and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with Nova. Nova Lorraine, I mean, there are not so many people that have a name that feels like an actress, but yours is definitely <laughs> one of them. I'd love for you to describe in your own words, Nova, who you are and how you got that wonderful name. Oh, I love that. Um, and actually, I just started acting a couple years ago, so I guess I guess it's matching up. Um, so I, I am Jamaican-born. I grew up here in the U.S. I have five other wonderful siblings and I am the oldest girl in a very traditional Caribbean home. So for those that are from the Caribbean, they probably could relate to what all of that entails. Um, so I didn't grow up like a lot of my friends in Connecticut. I had a ton of responsibilities from an early age and uh, it forced me to just juggle a lot. Sports, uh, school, because I was uh, that student who wanted to get straight A's and I um, love playing sports and I had my responsibilities at home and of course I had to work because I need to make my own money so it was definitely uh, a busy childhood teenage years going into college but it definitely prepared me for all that I'm doing now and the helping me have the ability to juggle quite a few projects that I currently juggle and I'm an author. I just released a book called Unleash Your Supernova and really excited about all the ways that it shares on how to increase creativity and beat burnout and survive the crazy roller coaster of entrepreneurship. And I'm a mom of four competitive athletes and I am a designer and I love couture, especially the art of fashion and was very uh, blessed to have received the best hot couture designer of the year with my debut collection um, when I started my designing life. And that led me into launching Rain Magazine. And Rain has spawned into so many different avenues, but the goal initially with Rain was to help other designers and other creative entrepreneurs like myself never give up on their dreams and by providing them a platform to take them to the next level and to inspire them and educate them along the way. And that now is uh, 
also the engine behind Pink Kangaroo, a podcast network, which does the same thing, but in audio form, bringing together incredible hosts from around the world and helping them in, impact their communities. And let's see, I, I could go on and on. Um, a recent project is in the crypto metaverse space. So I'm very much a nerd and um, that's a new area that I've delved into and excited about that. And I love to read. So that's a little bit about me. Whoa. Just gonna pause one second. Sometimes when you're speaking, it pops a bit. So maybe you just oh. keep your, I don't know what you're speaking into your phone. Is that what it is? I am, let me put on my headphones. And I can, we can, yeah, let's, um, let's redo that. Cause I am close to my phone. So that might be it too, the speaker. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. You weren't doing that before. You said it wasn't popping before. Maybe and all of a sudden. Closer. Is this any better or would you prefer? No, it's, it's nice. Yeah, it's good. It's a little bit more warm. Okay. Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing, testing, one, two, three. Good. Okay, awesome. We can we can re-roll if you want. I'm good with that. Well, you had good energy in it, but um, it's sort of up to you. I'm happy to start again. Do you want to start again? Or should we go from there? Yeah, it's just on the post-production side. Whatever's easier for you, I'm game. I could turn it back on if you need me to. It won't be exactly the same, but I'm able to. You could, you, you know, let's redo it, and then you could decide which one you want to use. Yeah, I think it'd be better if we keep the same sound quality. So let's go from, from the top. Okay. Nova Lorraine. Wow. Uh, there are certain people who have come with a name that just sounds like they're from the celluloid movie pictures. You are a woman, uh, after my own heart, looking at so many different topics uh, with a bundle of energy. And I'm delighted to have you on my show to discuss Nova Lorraine and where on earth did you get that Nova name from? <laughs> well, thank you. And I'm excited to be here, Mentor. And, you know, I have to credit the name to my dad and uh, growing up with a name as unusual as Nova, and, and it is gaining more popularity nowadays, but it would always come up like, what does your name mean? Where did it come from? Is that real? Is that your real name? And I got that more than any other thing. And, you know, I'm Jamaican born. My father had just immigrated to the United States when my mom was pregnant with me. And so because my mom was pregnant, she stayed in Jamaica with my brothers. And he wrote to her saying, if it's a girl, name her Nova. And uh, shortly after I was born, she and um, myself and my brothers uh, came to the U.S. to join my father here. And it didn't dawn on me to figure out, okay, well, that's a great story. I love that. But why Nova? It's not a common name in Jamaica either. And it, I came to find out that it's actually associated with Nova Scotia. And once upon a time, Nova Scotia had a very intimate relationship with Jamaica. And so there are a lot of structures on the island with that name. And that inspired my father. And I have to say, I really believe in the power of names because when I discovered the meaning that of, you know, the translation of Nova into new, uh, and that it also meant a star. I really resonated with those meanings as well. And all that I do in my world, in my life is something new. I'm always trying to reinvent or invent something new. 
and or a new way of doing it or a unique or a different way of saying it or expressing it. And then in terms of the, the meaning regarding an exploding star, the supernova, I, I really feel that all of us have that within us to be able to reach our fullest potential. And life is a journey and you start off as this you know, one being. And then if you take advantage of all that life has to offer you, it turn, you turn into this magnificent, greater version of yourself that continues to explode and grow and shine even brighter. In your childhood and your, your, your life uh, into the woman that you are, you were saying how your Jamaican background and, and living in a family with so many siblings formed you and, and helped prepare you for the life you're leading today. Tell us a little bit more about the, the multitasking Nova, the multifunctioning, <laughs> the multi-doing everything Nova uh, as you grow up. Yeah, I, I, so I'm the oldest girl in my family of six siblings, you know, six children. So um, I have five wonderful siblings, four brothers, and there's a cluster of us that um, four out of the six that, that are really close in age. So it was me and my three brothers, and I just had to survive for eight years until my younger sister came um, as the only girl. But then also being the first girl in a Caribbean, very traditional Caribbean home, that came with many responsibilities. And so it was very apparent to me early on that my life outside of school is very different from my friends. And so I had chores, I had to cook dinner for like the entire family. And we always had guests over. So I'm literally preparing meals for anywhere from eight, which is our family size to 12, 14 people on a regular basis. Very industrial. And I started cooking at the age of 12 and apprenticed with my parents in the kitchen starting at age 11. So that could just tell you to set the tone of the level of responsibilities that we had at an early age. And not only that, I was an athlete. I really strive to get straight A's in school. So I'm juggling, you know, very intense school workload and sports. And then I'm very independent. So I wanted to work and make my own money. And then I had a job. And then when I came home, I was, you know, I had to do my, my laundry. I had to clean. I had to cook meals. And my parents were foster parents as well. So those um, children that I had to assist on a daily basis, whenever, you know, we were fostering and it really prepared me, even though it sounded like a lot, you only know what you know. And, but right. it really prepared me on how to juggle the different projects that I'm juggling now and how to, you know, manage to do the things that I love and balance that with the responsibilities of the things I had to do. I love sports. It wasn't anything I had to do. I loved making my money, my own money. It wasn't anything I had to do. I love getting straight A's. It was, you know, so it was, okay, here are the things that I like or love. Here are the things that are part of what I have to do. And, and it's finding that balance. And so that very much carried over to what I'm doing now and how I do what I do now. And so I am very grateful that I had that exposure early on because that has allowed me to really take advantage of a lot of uh, incredible opportunities. So before we get into all your activities, because there are so many really cool things you're up to, Nova, 
Um, one of the things that struck me was that you we went to FIT and you also uh, we went to the Universidad de Granada in the south of Spain. Sí, Universidad yeah. de Granada. Para estudiar <laughs> art history, economics, and sociology. I'd love to tell you what did what was that experience like for you to go to Granada? Oh, I have a story for you. <laughs> First of all, I my trip to Spain. Um, viviendo allá por seis meses, for six months, was incredible and still one of the most memorable experiences I've had in my life. Hmm. But day one, when I landed in uh, Spain, and they speak at the you know time I was there, English, I mean, excuse me, primarily Spanish. So there was, mm-hmm. uh, you're not encountering English speaking um, individuals. So sure. I had my, my <laughs> Spanish classes from school. Um, to carry me through. And so I, I was sitting with a young lady on the plane. And this is the person I knew for the longest period of time coming into this country. Mm-hmm. And we are gathering our, our luggage and we're heading over to the bus to take us to Granada. We flew into Malaga, which is a That's city nice. not too far away. And I asked her to watch my, my backpack that I had with me um, and, an, and another bag while I went to get the rest of my luggage. So no problem, I go go to the baggage claim, get my luggage. I come back and I join her, but I notice that my backpack is gone. So I, in a slight panic, I said, where's my backpack? And she's like, I don't know. And that was my first, literally first, what? 10 minutes off of the, you know, outside the airport in this foreign country that I knew no one. I was 19 years old. And in that backpack was the money my parents gave me for the six months my credit cards, my license, my photos that I brought, my medication, (laughs) all my personal things, like every personal item that I had was there. And I have never had anything stolen from me before, like to that extent. And to be again in this new place, not knowing anyone without the things that were closest to you that you brought with you was devastating and so I remember getting on the bus and now I have no money no IDs and I get to our destination where I'm meeting my my foreign family that my that's gonna um my surrogate family that I'm gonna stay with and the poor poor young girl that came to pick me up uh, <laughs> I just had this look of <laughs> the stress on my face and I just wanted to go home and what I did remember was at the very last minute I took my passport out of my backpack, and this is God, I kid you not, and put it in my carry-on. And so thankfully, I had my passport that would allow me to eventually get back in the country. (laughs) Um, But I had to learn how to survive in this foreign country with no money for a while because I had to, you know, reach my parents and, and all this other thing. And um, and then find the sunny side of why I'm there and to literally put that behind me almost immediately because I came to study and live in this new destination. And I just had to just say, well, you know, it happened and I have to figure out how to survive and, and do this in a different way than I expected. And that was a huge learning lesson for me on many levels, but I did eventually grow to love and fall in love with the country and the people. And so absolutely cherish that time that I was there, even though it started kind of rocky. <laughs> well, I, I have the feeling, um, obviously with, with your 
life uh, experience up until there uh, that that formed a lot of who you are but also learning how to deal with shit because shit happens and (laughs) and of course it can somehow break you but it also forges you and and it gives you a little bit of perspective and you know how lucky you are to live in a safe place and and how you know you haven't been stolen from before Uh, hopefully you won't need to be stolen from after but it happens and and dealing with shit because in all the things you're doing uh, you also studied master. You had a master's in clinical psychology, and uh, I was wondering why it is you you decided to study that. You you also went to FIT. You're studying art history, economics, and sociology. I mean, I feel like a kindred spirit in the, your curiosity intellectually. Uh, but how did you land on clinical psychology, and how has that helped you in your life? That's a great question, considering all, all the other things that I shared that I was doing. I, in high school, decided that I wanted to help children be happier. I wanted to help teens. And the only path I knew how to do that was the most obvious, which was medicine. And within medicine, I could study psychiatry. So my initial intent was to become a doctor and a child psychiatrist with my limited knowledge of the field as a high school student and follow the steps of my older brother who at the time had declared that he was going to be um, a pre-med major in college. So just to give a little bit more backdrop on my upbringing, for our Caribbean family, especially within my home, education was extremely important. It was your opportunity, your way of you know, just being successful and what my, what my parents defined as successful. And this is an opportunity that you don't take advantage, don't, you know, take for granted and you make the most out of it. Also though, there are five career choices that you have (laughs) that's recognized as a career choice or a job. So you could be a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, an engineer, and, or a teacher pick one. And it was, again, these are paths that are pretty much laid out in front of you you do this, you get to this, and you get the degree, you get the job. It's very straightforward. This is what you make. This is what you can do with it. It's respectable. And that's all I knew in my world. Again, you know, growing up in this very traditional home is I could pick one of those careers. And so the career that made the most sense to do what I wanted to do at the time was medicine. And then I really emulated my older brother. Um, one of, he's uh, three years older than me. I have four, as I mentioned. He's the the one that's three years older and anything that he wanted to do, I wanted to do. And he actually was the one who suggested that I study abroad in Spain, which he did for a year. And so that journey of wanting to go into the field of medicine, that I was on that path throughout college and my mentor in college, which was my professor of psychology, because I was scoring so high on my exams, he pulled me aside. Um, this was prior to him becoming my mentor and I asked what were my future plans and I said I want to go to you know, medical school and this is why and he asked me if I'd ever think of going to grad school to study clinical psychology and I said no I don't even know what that is <laughs> and, so, and so hence he became my mentor <laughs> and but he he felt that the field really needed more more um, women and more diversity and he felt that I could really contribute to research and the clinical aspect of this industry. 
And so he asked me to think about it and look more into it. Well, I did, and I fell in love with it. And I quickly changed paths from medical school to grad school. And so I went on to grad school and, and started studying. But within the first couple months of being in the program, I had this strong, overwhelming, continual feeling that I had to do a different path to truly meet the goals that I wanted to meet in terms of helping people. And it was a divine download one day on my way to class that literally stopped me in my tracks. And the words that came to me was that this isn't how you're going to help people. It's going to be through your love of fashion. And fashion was something that was more in the background. You know, I, I grew up with a very stylish mom and aunts and cousins, and I also loved dressing up and being the best dressed in class and at school, but it wasn't anything that I thought of as a career or knew existed as a career. And, but it was just this extremely strong feeling that I had. And so it was during that year that I decided to change course, finish up early with my master's and go on and study fashion at FIT in New York. I love this expression of a divine download. I have thunderbolt. <laughs> I have thunderbolts in my mind. Uh, it's brilliant. I get them so, often. <laughs> I, I guess so. So um, this idea of uh, helping others through fashion, uh, you, you talk about the use of storytelling to inspire creatives to never give up on their dreams. It makes me think that creatives do give up on their dreams. Is that, is that where that thought came from? And, and if so, how does one firecrack and keep those thunderbolts, those inspirations going? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in my experience, I've met a lot of extremely brilliant individuals who changed course, decided to stop what they loved because it just wasn't working out for them anymore. And even on my journey, financially and or any other obstacle that was in their way, um, you know, getting noticed in what they're doing or getting clients or building that community that they needed, getting the support, because sometimes money isn't the only support that you need to really grow within the space that you've chosen to grow in. And I, you know, I chose this unconventional path of fashion. I had this very predictable, quote unquote, guaranteed career that would have given all of, you know, what my parents would have loved me to have, which was this surely wasn't one of the five. This was not one of the five. No, it wasn't one of the five. No. And, um, and, so, and to my surprise, when I decided that I was going to leave grad school and I, and I was terrified, I'm not going to kid you. I was terrified to tell my parents. And I'm like, what are they going to think? You know, and not just them, like anyone. They're like, oh, I, was, I really was concerned with what, what other people were going to think. But even though I had that concern, what was even stronger was that desire and that knowing that I had to do it. So my parents were extremely supportive, which helped me make that decision and go full force into it. But I knew already that this is what I was going to do. And, but on that journey, it was extremely challenging. Like I, I, I mentioned that I won best hot couture designer of the year with my first collection. I mean, that was huge. I was Imagine. featured in Italian Vogue. I was working with celebrities and film directors and all these incredible things. I was recognized by the Fashion Group International as a rising star. 
But yet with all of those highs came equal lows. And there were many days when I woke up and I was like, why am I doing this? This is so hard. And I wanted to give up. And not only that, I was a mom and I was a young mom. My kids were babies. And so that journey and, and choosing to not give up, choosing to stick with my dream was what inspired me to launch Rain. And Rain is for me, it is a way to help others. It's a way to say, you know what? If this person did it, you could do it too. Look where they started. Look at the challenges that they went through. You know, you could do it too. Just take that next step. Just hang on one more day. And, and a lot of times that's all we really need to do is just have faith for one more hour, one more day, one more week, one more month. And it eventually comes to pass. And so I do think the journey of creative entrepreneurship is more challenging because you're juggling the business aspect with the art. And I feel to fully express yourself as an artist, you need to wholly be in that space. But then to succeed as a business person and entrepreneur, you need to be extremely savvy with, with those skill sets and or at the very least have a partner you trust who is. And so I feel that rain for me was that aha moment in terms of the divine download that I had in grad school and how I could truly take this love of fashion that I have this journey that I'm on and translate that into a tool and a platform that others can come to for their guidance, for their support, for their inspiration, for their education or connections or community, whatever they're looking for. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Is a part of Rain Magazine coming out of, oh, I wish I had had this for me. Or is oh, it- 100%. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't even know what the or is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So you've got, uh, I mean, so amongst the other activities, you, you, you're you now the editor-in-chief of Rain Magazine. Great name. Uh, you've got over 30 or 40 different um, editions of it. Tell us a a little bit about the business model, because if there's one area that's been disrupted uh, amongst others, of course, but at the highest level is is publishing and a magazine. It doesn't sound like an easy business to be in. So tell us how you have made Rain Magazine work. I mean, it's got 100 pages, as I recall, per edition. Uh, It's got beautiful content. Uh, and seems to be successful, but it's difficult these days. And I'm wondering how you've managed through all the changes. Oh, thank you for that question. That is an excellent question. And I'll have to say ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <laughs> when I launched Rain, <laughs> I, I launched with an incredible team of, of four. So there was five of us and I had just had my fourth child. I was um, running my store, selling my collection, And it was, again, another divine download. (laughs) Mm. 
Um, so I was going to make it happen and make it work in whatever way I could. And I think because I had all those other responsibilities that I was managing at the time, it gave me the light bulb of creating a virtual company. And so this was 14, almost 15 years ago. And of course, now with um, the, the co- you know, COVID and, and being rich, our travel being restricted, many companies have been forced to go virtual. But this was at a time where we didn't have all of the wonderful tools that we have now. And, but I read about a, a model of a virtual company and fast company. And I said, oh, this is really interesting. And, and the next company I do, it's going to be virtual. And so hence, Rain was launched as a virtual company with a digital magazine, something that, again, was not being done. And I remember calling publicists and trying to set up interviews with these celebrities. And they were so on board with this concept of, you know, looking for the new and the rising and fashion, culture and technology and giving them a platform. And I'd get to the part of the conversation where I shared with them that we were a digital magazine and then you just heard silence. <laughs> and, and they were like, oh, I don't know if this is a good fit. But yeah. I truly believed in the model we had at the time when we launched it. We were you know, eco-friendly, we were innovative, it was modern. And I just knew this was the future of publishing, was the future of how we were gonna consume content. And so I just continued ahead. It fit very well into my lifestyle as an entrepreneur, as a mom, as a creative. And it also forced me to learn how to communicate without being face-to-face. And this was before the video communication tools we have. And to translate extremely artistic visual terms and goals through words. And so it helped me really develop and hone some extremely valuable, unique skills early, early on where I could gather a team around the world and not be restricted by location when finding talent, working with talent and featuring talent. And so Rain launched digitally and grew into print and we were on newsstands in Barnes and Noble and we launched events to bring that high touch experience to the magazine so you could see the faces that we were covering and feel the energy that we were bringing into the magazine. Those events allowed us to grow organically and really become a destination for rising talents and artists and um, individuals that were you know, launching tech products and things and books and things like that. And as the industry continued to evolve and social media started to take more and more of the landscape you know, from independent magazines, I then came across digital radio, which is now podcasts and has, which has grown into podcasts and fell in love with the medium. I grew up around music. My father's very musical. My family's very musical. Um, I danced in college. Um, my you know, family made up of a, a lot of really wonderful dancers. And so music for me was just an authentic part of my life. And when I recorded my first audio interview, I was in love and knew somehow that I had to be in this medium. And I was a little ahead of my time (laughs) um, because it wasn't as easy to create podcasts as it is now. And so about, I guess, three years ago, I launched my own podcast and then was determined to help others do the same and others succeed because it is very challenging and difficult to 
not only launch your podcast, but maintain it and grow it. And hence Pink Kangaroo was born, which is, which is powered by rain. So literally taking the digital publishing skills that I developed over the years and applying it to a new medium to bring these talents and entrepreneurs and storytellers together to impact their communities. And I truly believe there are power in numbers and understanding the science behind sound and music and vibration and frequency. And, and imagine if you have these amazing minds coming together in one platform and to be that destination to inspire, educate, entertain in a medium, which is the future of how we're going to consume and continue to consume content. No doubt. So I love the fact Nova, that you you began as a digital magazine, then you began print. It's sort of the reverse of the the, the traditional <laughs> shitstorm that most publishers had to go through. And I'm wondering to what extent, as a digital platform, for example, you were able to have a better understanding of your audience, because that's what they always say. You know, it's like with television or ad, um, magazines. You know, you, you might get it out there, but you have no idea who's actually watching. You know, my 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 advertising has been reached 50% of people, but I don't know who they, you know, which 50. Mm -hmm. Whereas with digital, mm -hmm. there's there's much more contact, if you will, or traceability. And to what extent has that been helpful for you in driving the the print version, for example? Yeah. So you know, what, going from digital to print was a complete. <laughs> uh, educational experience for me because again I didn't I wasn't you know um ex, you know super knowledgeable about publishing I had worked as an editor for just under a year for another publishing house prior to launching rain so I had that experience but you know taking an idea and turning it into a story with images and laying it out in a way that's visually appealing and then finding that tool to showcase that content in the most user-friendly way digitally was challenging. But then taking that content and presenting it in a very conforming medium that you, know, you have certain sizes and restrictions that you're working with, uh, deadlines that you're working with, vendors that you're working with. Hmm. And it was a, a new cycle of production that I had to learn. And I feel going from, you know, digital to print, I had the advantage of being able to publish, like learn how to publish and take an idea and bring it to life in two extremely different ways, but then apply that to so many other things thereafter. And learning how to take a concept and bring it to life visually in different mediums. I feel is a valuable skill and, and you can apply that to anything. So I think it just really helped me develop my storytelling abilities um, more powerfully and how it helped me in terms of going to print is that it gave me a tool that was unique to what others were doing. So we weren't just a print magazine, we were a print magazine that followed this digital medium that you could access very easily. Mm -hmm. And then the print was more of the art piece mm -hmm. and the collectible and that additional experience, how you can extend the experience. The event became the extension of the experience. So I didn't see the print as the end all be all. I saw it as part of the storytelling and how to further extend what we were offering as a brand 
to give another way for people to really touch, feel, and be invited into that rain world. Well, that that makes just so much sense, and because uh, uh, you know there, there there is in tied up in the tradition of these magazines the the beauty of the end all unness of the the high grade quality print uh, paper and, and glossy and so on and so forth, and and I must I lo- of course I, I I love this idea of your rainmakers. Uh, you've had such mm. an impressive list of people uh, who have been featured in your magazine. I'm seeing. Uh, Priyanka Chopra, Ben Carson, Mark Cuban, uh, Kendall Jenner. And so uh, I just love that. Uh, we, I don't have, I, I'm running out of time, but I, I want to cover a few more things. And one of the topics, just to finish on the Rainmaker magazine, which I cover, I encourage anyone who's listening to go check out, um, is, is the use of social media. How have you seen the use of social media, given your digitalness and background, uh, as being an effective or not tool around Rain uh, magazine. So uh, around Rain, it was very effective because we started digitally, and telling that story for us was before social media was a platform that everyone was going to for content delivery, and translating a magazine to a tool like Instagram. <laughs> was a beautiful thing and a, a perfect way of showcasing imagery and, and travel and art and fashion. Mm-hmm. I feel the disadvantage to social media is that for those who did not grow up with traditional marketing tactics, which are often referred to as guerrilla marketing or face-to-face you know, marketing with using more of that human-to-human um, experiences and tactics, I think they're losing something because I feel that they're, they're looking at social media as the beginning and end of their marketing strategy and how to, how to reach the consumer and engage with the consumer. And they're missing so much. When we launched our events, it was such a powerful tool to meet these individuals in person because, of course, a lot of this the work we were doing was was through emails <laughs> and so we were doing interviews over the phone and emails and so we weren't meeting them in person but by gathering this talent these group of people in a room and the energy that comes from that and the true relationships that you develop from that is invaluable and also when you take your in, you know your consumer engagement off of social media you're forced to you know to go deeper you're forced to be more creative, think more outside the box to get to know your customer more. Where do they live beyond Instagram or Facebook or TikTok? What are they doing? What do they eat? What do they like? Where are the areas that they want to, how do they want to grow? What can you offer them? What is that experience? And what is that emotional connection? Can you give to them beyond the digital? So the digital is great for accessibility, but it's also limiting if you're only looking at that as one avenue to grow your brand. You know, if we only depended on Instagram, we wouldn't have developed the podcast network. And the, the, the medium of sound is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And again, it's how do you go beyond what you're doing and continue to give your user, your listener, your reader, your consumer a better experience. So for me, Rain is, has always been just the beginning. It's never been the end. We are always looking for ways that we can just do more 
you know, for our RAIN readers. So Nova knew, don't take this badly, but I was thinking you're going old school on me. <laughs> I am very, I am the eclectic one, okay? I mix old with new, hence Nova Lorraine. Mm, let's go back to the name. So it's a part of who I am. I believe I love history and I love futurism, but I think the balance is in the middle. How could you take what you've learned from what has worked in the past and blend it to what's new and fresh that may work a little better? Like it's bringing those two together. And I can't, I can't say we you know, should throw everything away that we used to do just because we have this new toy. You know, like I still love playing with Monopoly, you know, yeah, you have apps on the phone and things like that, but board games, again, very different experience. And if you do an app with your family game, which I do, and you do a board game, completely different experience. And so they're just advantage, they're just things we could take advantage of, but I do absolutely believe in and learning from what worked in the past. And if you have an understanding of human behavior and going back to your question and how psychology has helped me, I bring it into everything that I do. I look at the person first and the experience that they're going to have and how can I increase and enhance that experience and knowing the cues that we could tap into in terms of our five senses and how can you, you know, look for things within what you do where you can create that emotional connection through all the senses, not just one. I have um, an aristocratic French friend of mine who says, you need to live with one foot in the past, one foot in the future to best be present in the present. Mm. And, it, and it strikes me that your clinical psychology, it, you know, frankly, we don't need to take a degree in psychology to understand that we need to be, we're humans and that human mm -hmm. touch and that human experience is so important and i'm you know i'm thinking of the the family dinners you've had and and your hands in the in the uh the rice you know whatever you, you know <laughs> jambalaya i don't know whatever you i'm not good enough to know the, the the exact recipes but those those very visceral human uh tactile experiences are part of our life and and that digital thing is great for distribution as you said i loved how you expressed that but we do need to be real and uh, dig down Two things, Nova, before we finish, I want to get into Unleash Your Supernova, which is the name both of your book and your podcast. Unleash Your Supernova, 101 Action Steps to Boost Creativity and Beat Burnout. Beating Burnout. Tell us why this book, which is published in, into 2021, is so necessary now. You know, this year and last year, is profound because everyone around the world was experiencing the same thing. And we all have a similar story that we can share and who knows when this is gonna happen again. Hopefully it will be in a positive sense. <laughs> but we were all going through micro traumas. We were, you know, for some of us, old traumas may have been rehashed for some new were made and it just heightened anything that we were already dealing and managing and juggling and balancing. And I have encountered so many people that because they were forced to take a break, were able to reflect on what they were doing and how they were doing it. 
and, and realizing and recognizing how burnt out they were becoming or had been. And it was a time to pause and make changes and make hard decisions. And if we remove ourselves from these past two years and just look at in general, when we are taking on these projects or relationships or these creative um, ideas and, and tasks that we're doing, it's so important that we add that balance in there because to be the most optimal version of ourselves, we can't be in a state of burnout or approaching burnout. And as, as you know, I shared as a kid, as a teen, I was used to juggling a lot of things. I can't say I experienced burnout as a young, as a, as a teenager, but as an adult, I absolutely did. And so I recognize those signs and I pay attention more. I'm more mindful and intentional about adding certain elements into my life and introducing certain activities into my life to create that balance, to allow me to do the things that I do, to be able to design, to dance, to draw, to act, um, whatever I'm doing creatively, but then also be able to lead a team you know, through Rain, through Pink Kangaroo, my podcast team, and to help me deliver the products that I want to deliver to help others. So a lot of times we're doing things to help those around us, but if we aren't helping ourselves first, we're going to be ineffective at doing that. So it's so important for us to recognize not only the ideas and the dreams we have and how to accomplish those dreams and ideas, but to be very mindful that that may come at a cost if we're not paying attention to introducing other tools into our lives, which I could go on and on for about those tools um, that I talked about the book to help not burn out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I, well, I want people to go and check your book out, uh, Nova. But I, I, I want to ask this other question. So as a, a leader, an opinion leader like you are, and a top executive, how does one detect burnout in oneself? Because, you know, like you're a super achiever, supernova achiever. And the idea of me not having energy, well, no, dash the thought. I, I'm a super <laughs> achiever. How does one lean into that thought? And, and then also, how does one see it in others? Oh, I love that question. I do touch on that in the book. I do go into that. And I think when we're looking at ourselves and, and making that analysis of, am I burning out? Am I reaching a point of burnout? Or have I burnt out? If you are engaging in something that you love or started, you know, when you started it, it was something that you love. And all of a sudden, it's not bringing you that same joy. It doesn't have that sense of richness anymore or depth and color um, or that flavor, you know, there's some things you love so much, you could just taste it. When it's becoming bland, or it's making you feel more, you know, bringing more negative emotions than positive emotions, then you may be reaching a place of burnout for that thing. It could be a sports activity, it could be a hobby, it could be your job, it could be a relationship even. But when that thing that you are so in love with does not turn you on anymore, you really have to just stop and ask the question why. Also, if you're just running out of energy, you know, you know your status quo, what that, that baseline is for you when it comes to your energy levels. And yes, sometimes it may be the food you're eating, which is a very important thing to be mindful of. 
And, you know, you look at your baseline and say, are you falling below your baseline in terms of your energy levels and really take an assessment of what you're doing? Are, are you, do you have too much on your plate? Or let's say you are a consultant and you're juggling different clients. Maybe one of those clients are really draining you and it's time to let them go. And so it's really just assessing what you're doing. If your energy levels are depleting, if you are no longer enjoying that thing that you normally would love, if you are having a, a difficult time getting excited about your day when you get up in the morning and you're not looking forward to anything, again, it's time to start reassessing. Sometimes the things that we're doing and that we start doing because we love it can take as much from us than what it used to give us. And it's that time to make that decision. Like, okay, if you're not getting what you used to get out of it to keep your well full, then it's time to move on, change, or at least pause that thing, that project, that activity, that client, whatever it is that you feel is the source of your burnout. What I particularly appreciated about what you just said was, uh, and the way I take away is that you can burn out from an activity, but not necessarily of everything. And you need to identify that. You need to have the self-awareness. And then there is, of course, the general level of energy. And, and there you have to have that self-awareness. And the question I have for you, Nova, bouncing out of that is, when did you ever go public with the fact that you burned out? Because I have to guess, for someone like you with you know, so many accolades, and it, it must have been a thing to go public on the idea of burning out. I mean, I know Minter would struggle to publicly say that. How, how was it for you? For me, the book, and the book was not only an, another way for me to help um, individuals, but it was a way for me to also recall these experiences and what I learned from these experiences and, and be okay with being vulnerable because my vulnerability is going to help so many more people. And in the book, I, I do talk about um, moments of when I had to take a pause and I had to make some hard decisions and I had to pivot and only good comes from that. And at the time it is challenging. Mm. You know, you may, you may take it as a blow to your ego, or you may judge yourself or have a fear of others judging you. And a lot of times we box ourselves in with these labels and we feel we have to meet these expectations for the rest of our life with a label that's attached to those expectations. Mm. And that is just something that our culture has put on us. We are more than our labels. We are ourselves and our beings, and we're here to grow and evolve. And sometimes there are things that are only meant to be for a certain amount of time in our lives. And by continuously doing it and not finding ways to continue to expand, that in and of itself can burn you out. We are multidimensional. We're here to continue to become the supernova, right? The supernova explodes. That's a present tense word. It's not exploded. It's exploding. And that is our journey to continue to grow, expand, rise, explode into the beauty and the beautiful, powerful individuals that we are here to become. And so I feel that my book was my first time to coming public and it was definitely a process. It took a couple of years and I've shared it in some stories and events that I've done since, but I think it's important to recognize and talk about going back to my roots in psychology, that if we ourselves are not whole, 
if our minds aren't whole, then whatever we're trying to do, it's going to be futile. It's going to be temporary. And so if we truly believe in our dreams and ideas, then we have to invest in ourselves and we have to create that peace and that balance and that well-being that'll allow us to truly be effective and impactful to not only ourselves, but to those around us. Inspiring words, Nova. So, and we come to a conclusion as all things must eventually do. Um, how can, <laughs> which is so sad, but how can somebody get a hold of you, follow you, uh, see your magazine? What's the, what are the best ways? Give us some of the, the, the good links because digital remains a good way to get into that. Of course, see um, if you have a show or something you want to talk about, go ahead, tell us what are the best things. Absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. So for anyone listening, if you're on LinkedIn, I love to connect there. I also can be found through my podcast, uh, Unleash Your Supernova. I'm on the Pink Kangaroo and Evergreen podcast networks. And so if you just type in Unleash Your Supernova, it will take you to my podcast pages. And of course, Rain Magazine. You can email uh, me directly through Rain. My team will get me those emails. And that's R-A-I-N-E magazine. And for those of you that love Instagram, look for the real Nova Lorraine on Instagram. Fabulous. Unleash your Nova. Unleash your supernova. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love some of the sterling insights and, and your energy. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mentor. I'd love to come back. I really enjoyed our call. Thank you so much. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash Dial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on MinterDial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. I like the feel of a stranger Tucked around me, precipitating the danger To feel free, trust is a reason Still I won't tell the lie I sit here passively, hope for your respect Anticipating the thrill of your intellect Maybe I tell myself, there's no use in me lying I'm a convinced man building an urge I'm a convinced man to live and die submerged A convinced man in the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man challenge my fate I'm a convinced man competitions innate A convinced man in the arms of a woman despise
revenges and struggle with deceit. Live for the challenge so life's not incomplete. What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger to feel free. Trust in my reason and let me show you why. I'm a convinced man practicing my lines. I'm a convinced man here in these confines. A convinced man in the arms of a woman. I'm a convinced man put to the test. I'm a convinced man. I'm ready for an arrest. I'm a convinced man in the arms of a woman. Of news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.